Welcome to Embracing the Margins, where we talk about wealth, poverty, and the church. Today, we're talking about what's going on in Haiti. And I have Dr. Michael Badriaki with me here. I'm Dr. Matt Price. And um, the, the last few weeks or even months in Haiti have, have been a really rough time. I've seen the uh, presidential assassination um, and then just recently, a major earthquake that is, has killed at least hundreds, if not thousands, and left thousands upon thousands without food and shelter. And so there's a humanitarian crisis um, unfolding in Haiti. And even after that earthquake, we saw a, a massive tropical storm hit that immediately dumped huge amounts of rain um, on people with no homes. And just the, the, the confluence of all of these different things together are just creating a, a major, major crisis. Um, there's critical shortages of personnel and supplies. Um, the, the, there are reports of armed gangs that have blocked some of the supply routes to get in supplies. and um, it's just the media is painting a, a pretty dire picture in that area. Um, Michael, it, it, you have been to Haiti back in 2010 in the aftermath of the last um, major uh, earthquake. And so you have a little bit of an uh, inside insight here as to the way humanitarian groups responded then and, and maybe more of an interpretation of how they're responding now. So as you look to the situation in Haiti and think about this response we're seeing right now, what are you seeing there? Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's like deja vu. And deja vu, I think Haitians would understand that in French also, that <laughs> it's this... Uh, it's a, sort of a, like a, it's like that moment in your head. You think, oh, I've seen, I've seen this reiteration before. Now, while this current earthquake is sort of has a different epicenter than the previous one, which uh, the epicenter was in a place called Leogan in Haiti, or IT as they say in Haiti. Um, it, it's you know, earthquakes seem like they are repeat events, particularly in that, uh, in that axis of the world. And it's unfortunate because again, lives are lost. So uh, I think for me, that's what always <coughs> sticks out, sorry. That's what always sticks out for me when it comes to this is, uh, Families have been displaced. People have, you know, people are suffering tremendously. And I, that's what comes to mind is um, when I was there, I was there for relief, disaster response, and eventually long-term development planning with Haitian partners. Um, 
And I assume you, but got what to observe, you got to observe some of these large relief organizations like the Red Cross. Every organization was there. Uh, I mean, it was the highest place with NGOs per capita. Okay. Uh, I think around the world, around the world, because everybody pitched tent. Uh, and it's interesting because they pitched better tents than the survivors, the Haitian survivors, because they were actually living in. I mean, you you would drive, you drive and see on the roadside blue. You'd see even flying into Port-au-Prince at airport, you see blue patches of land covered by blue. Those were blue tops donated in, in most cases by uh, UNHCR or the UN. But for NGOs, even like the one I was with at the time, we, we, we had very nice houses. So that's part of the irony there. Maybe I'd like to look at it at some point, but, but let me go back to what I, I remember because it was like I had to put my file down of relief and disaster response and get to another, sort of was step back, roll it back because the people we were there to engage in meetings were actually pulling bodies out of rubble. Family members were still looking for their family members, Matt, and from underneath broken buildings. And, and that was a level the armchair response doesn't really consider. Sure. It's just heartbreaking. I, I can't imagine, um, you know, being a part of that and, and trying to, uh, trying to figure out what, where, where, where does strategy end and just the humanity of, of what's going on, um, begin, um, the, it's just the other day, um, let's see a, a article, I think, I think written by NBC, um, Shar Adams, um, says that the devastation, the devastation just recently, the last few days in Haiti has revived anger over relief efforts after Haiti's last massive earthquake, the one we're talking about in 2010, which was estimated to have killed 200,000 people. Activists and others have urged the public to donate and provide resources to local organization and groups directly connected to people in the country rather than give to large disconnected organizations. What do you think about that statement? Yeah, I I think it's a very, I think that it's a step in the right direction when it comes to who, who should receive money. Certainly, I think people should do their homework I think that they're both smaller organizations that are well-connected to the community, including churches, and they're bigger organizations that do, do, do a decent job and maybe even a good job in still respecting this groundwork and well-connected uh, approach with 
uh, nationals and Haitians, but even some foreigners who've been there for a long time and have built relationships amongst Haitians. So there's a mixed bag of both small, large organizations and associations that get that. The converse is true, is that they're also bigger organizations um, and smaller organizations that just don't get it. And in fact, they don't want to get it in the first place because you know, I think it's a balance in between actually fulfilling the organization's mission and uh, the, I think, chronic anxiety that most organizations, big and small, have for development. They have their, you know, organizations have their own sense of development and their capital development. So hitting the bottom line for most organizations is, uh, I, 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 hate, I hate to say that, but there's a way in which uh, disasters are sort of a blessing in disguise for organizations because they get to raise a lot of money uh, and in some cases seed money for not just relief in the targeted area, but other programs. So um, there's that strategy amongst organizations. And I think that's probably what that article is trying to address is the integrity with which organizations raise this money and actually implement it. Now that's does the money raised reach the population, the target population, the population that needs it. And I think it's seldom the case as it was uh, uh, certainly uh, studied very well and documented about the previous earthquake is that all uh, most of the money that was raised for relief in Haiti stayed in bank accounts of organizations, including the bigger ones, and then they're named. I don't want to name them now because I'm not in that fault finding uh, arena right now, but, but it's all documented, it's true. And so I think they're trying to mitigate against that kind of lack of integrity. And, it, it, and as, as I'm looking further into this article, it, what you're saying is, is exactly what it's talking about. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the Haitian um, poverty alleviation experts there and uh, emergency relief organizations. And they, it, it, this person said, we all had concerns with the foreign aid that was coming in then. The money wasn't disseminated in a way so people who actually needed it could get it. Do we know what happened to it? No one does. That's why a lot of people now who want to help are making the necessary efforts to do the research and find grassroots organizations and Haitian-led organizations to donate to where it will provide immediate relief to people who need it. And then the article kind of goes on to talk about in 2010 where a, a lot of money was given to organizations, specifically the Red Cross, and um, that money was pledged to certain ongoing development relief um, but it was never delivered. So maybe right now with the Red Cross, there's $13 million that still was never delivered. It was raised, but it never made it, it never made it to Haitians, let alone in the right way. And so not to cast blame on, on that organization versus any others, but it's one of the longest standing, biggest uh, Western NGOs in the world. And when we look at these things, we can kind of see that these big systems we've put in place. Uh, they're often not effective. They're, they're good at raising money, but are they good at actually doing, doing the work that needs to be done? And, and we don't want to lump it all into one category because we have these emergency relief situations 
But then what happens after that? Once you pull the bodies out of the rubble and you put up some tents and you give some clean water, what happens next? What what happens to these economies that um, need to need to um, reemerge and thrive um, after they've taken such a hit? And uh, are we are we listening to the people on the ground to help them do that? And are we following through with promises that were made? Too, I, it's all a very big concern. Now, in past discussion, Michael, we talked about this concept of being agile uh, when it comes to helping. And I think we really see that many of these big organizations are, and, and, and even governments are really not geared toward being agile toward the grassroots efforts on the ground. And so as we look to Haiti, we know there's lots of churches. There's vibrant churches in Haiti. There's lots of different Christians there. Um, as, as Christians kind of a little bit separated from that, very separated from that, is our best bet to look toward Christian organizations to engage in help? Or should we be looking to some of these NGOs like the Red Cross? What, what's our best option? That's um, that's a very uh, rich question, I think, to to really ponder on. I, I'm glad you, I was going to go there, uh, and when I mentioned the larger organizations, I'm glad you mentioned the Red Cross. And the thing about it is uh, we can mention it because it's do documented, and, and like, like you said, we, we're not pointing fingers, but when it comes to accountability, um, Red Cross, is that large, it's the largest humanitarian relief and long-standing organization that we can mention. I mean, Catholic Charities is, is there along with it too. Um, but then you look at World Vision as well. There are over a billion dollar organization and there's Compassion and all these organizations are, are, are running big, big budgets. So, um, religious and non-religious. So I think that what's interesting is that when you look at all of them, they need to have the, the same scrutiny of accountability so that uh, what is better comes out of data that shows the organization that is stewarding the resources in the sense of good management. Um, well, based on accountability. So uh, I think that, you know, I think that that should be across the board, Christian or non-Christian organizations. Um, I also sometimes think that um, when it comes to service delivery, program development, design and implementation, monitoring and evaluating, I think that... Uh, uh, non-Christian organizations tend to have a strong emphasis there, which I like, um, you know, technical assistance, budgeting well. In other words, there's an actual, you know, accounting office that goes through audits. And of course, then, you know, some people might still say, oh, well, there's still politics there, but I, I, I'd rather have a, a well-administrated organization that is also open and transparent 
that has systems. Uh, so whether Christian or not, if if that's the case, then that's good. And predominantly uh, systems that have also taken time, organizations that have taken time to make sure that they're just. So, so right, because when it comes to agility, agility calls for us not to play favoritism. Mm -hmm. Right, you you have to you have to you have to help people. In fact, sometimes you have to help them regardless of their religious faith. Right. right. Just like, right. Just like Jesus did with, you know, when, when, when the woman with the issue of blood came to him, he didn't say, are you born again or not? Are you a Christian or not? Are you evangelical or not? Do you say, do you, do you pledge allegiance to the Christian flag before you, do your children do that before they start school? Mm-hmm. Right. He, he didn't have this checklist for her. The thief on the cross. He didn't say, okay, before, you know, he said, will you remember me? He didn't say, now tell me first. Let's go through the checklist. What church do you go to? What, you know, he didn't. So, in imagine, other words. Imagine if the Good Samaritan had gone through that checklist. The Good Samaritan, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So, So, I think we need to clean up our systems to this point. Because any amount of uh, ethnocentricism or fraud or corruption, uh, and I say this, this is this the, the vulnerability to be true of the human condition, including me, is that unless we have some sense of accountability in that sense, um, it's hard sometimes to know what should I follow? Where should I, what should I do that will always keep me in that sense of fairness of uh, trying to live above reproach? So I think Christian or not, but then here's the point my, for organizations that say they are Christian, they should be actually not just better. They should be excellent mm. at this. They, whatever they're doing, right? It's Colossians, do as unto the Lord. Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, whatever is noble. On such things, think. There's all kinds of measures in the literature of scripture to make sure that Christian organizations are excellent. There shouldn't be any kind, any whiff of discrimination racially. Man against woman, woman against man. There shouldn't be any kind of this political man prankmanship. I'm just <laughs> treat people like they are created in the image of God. If you're saying you're a Christian organization, people should want to work there mm-hmm. because it is a culture that demonstrates the love of God. It's a culture that looks at people because they have the Imago Day. And it's a culture that values competence and transparency and accountability. So I would want to prefer that organization, but sometimes it's very hard to find organizations that are Christian and that have done their best 
to have this idea of business operation operational excellence, right? And when I look at when I look at some of the secular trends in um, helping and just uh, how they are attempting to do things with more excellence and be more effective. Of course, they they span the spectrum. Um, but when I look at some of the things that have come out of the MIT Poverty Alleviation Lab there, um, and I see this, this idea that they're, they're continually pushing the envelope of how to tailor, tailor their, their solutions to conditions on the ground. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I do see this, this idea, at least, that they're, they're trying to push toward um, more specific and less one-size-fits-all plants. And I, I really like that. I like that a lot. And I see how, how some Christian organizations have attempted to adopt some of those, those strategies, but it, it seems like oftentimes um, the, the Christian strategies are not necessarily um, cutting edge and maybe they, they fall a little bit short of the secular strategies. And for me, it's been a big concern that, that some of those Christian organizations don't, they don't seem to remember um, in some ways, who we are as Christians and the structure that we already have built in. So it, as a Christian, when I look to Haiti, I think that I should be thinking first for um, my Haitian brothers and sisters, I should be looking to them for answers. That, that's where I look to first. So, I mean, just nuts and bolts of this in my mind, if I know of Haitian churches um, those are the people that I want to be communicating with saying, how do we help your community, whether they're Christian or not? How do we, how do we engage in your community? And so those networks there, right. those don't, secular places don't have the ability to engage in those networks like Christians do. And I think, I think that is why traditionally the church has been this ambassador of social engagement where we've, you know, we've fought social ills because, we have this network, and and yet when we kind of look to modern day stuff, we're looking to places like MIT and NYU and Columbia University, and these researchers, we're looking to Oxford to see what they're doing, and then we're trying to copy it in kind of a less budgeted, less funded way, when we could look to our strengths, which is we have a network of people around the world that are our brothers and sisters, and those are the people where hopefully if we're doing what we're supposed to do in other arenas of who we are, we already have trust built up. And so I wonder when we look to places like Haiti and we see kind of the, the spectrum of what's going on with Christian organizations, it seems like many of the organizations that would be the most effective are the ones that are operating through Christian strengths, through the church. Connections between church, listening to our brothers and sisters on the ground that know what's going on, they're the ones that are running these grassroots organizations in that country. They're the people where we need to just be throwing money and saying, do it, brother. We're with you. Um, when, as you were on the ground in, in Haiti in 2010, did you see some more Christian organizations that were operating in a way that you thought was really great? Um, so, yeah, the, the time... I think um, the time I was there was very 
eye opening um and my friend and i you know who who I, I was in haiti with we still talk about it um was that the people we found were actually telling uh uh more heartfelt and stories with tears and stories with hope and stories with prayer and stories with even what could be beyond the technical expert or the development um you know consultant from outside were well, actually the haitians the haitians and uh for our part we 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 talked to lots of pastors we went to the sites where their churches had been uh decimated by the earthquake and we also saw how that also had a ripple effect with their congregational members who lived within the community because now they couldn't they couldn't have that that communal congregation uh affair happening which if people might relate it's symbolic to uh what happened with covid and you know there are people who say who are saying they they missed they missed meeting with one another um but they were these these pastors were also trusted by the members of their congregation and their neighborhoods their uh uh whose whose houses had been totally torn down the parents didn't have where to go they might have been willing to stay in tents but they wanted their children to stay in better places and they entrusted their children to those pastors and i taking us to i i talk about him in the book taking us to see these children he was a very genuine man he had been doing work he had his own organization and uh, he needed some money to actually create a more comfortable space for the children because they were going to be with him not for the foreseeable future but for an, a number of months and he wasn't asking for much to give them a decent place while their parents figured out the next place where they would live and we we sat together we tried to work out something together the money was there but when it came to who made the decisions the decision was made from outside of haiti in the united states in a boardroom with air condition that he's not the kind of person that we are looking to work with so this is christian to christian <laughs> so so you see <laughs> and we and 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 we were flawed we were absolutely flawed in, and uh in my own experience michael i've i've in different countries i i've run into the same thing over and over again you know on the ground you can see this is this is a perfect partner we can trust them they're a brother they're working a strategy here that just makes sense why wouldn't anybody want to be a part of this and then the answer from back home comes and it's no 
this is not this is not our this is not our strategy. This is not the type of person that we're going to partner with. Um, there's all kinds of dangers here that you, as a a simple worker on the field, just don't see or understand. And um, those things were the things that really got me into looking at this um, uh, wealth and poverty issue in the first place. And you know, it just seems to come up again and again. There it is in Haiti. Um, as you sit there and, and you know you're seeing somebody doing the work and and the answer comes back and it's no. Um, so, and, and Matt, I, I have no doubt that the people who are coming to these conclusions might have been burnt by a particular, you know, time they wanted to do certain things. And but is it is it true that the failure that happened over in that project warrants the denial of 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 another? of another project. And I think what was even more disturbing was the rationale uh, because it really seemed like uh, at least the answer that was given to us, he was just being rejected too because he was Haitian. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, in other words, in other words, the idea of working uh, with, <laughs> with a Haitian pastor's agency um now it's also true that there were other haitian um there were other haitian uh, pastors that were being supported but that even made it a little more complicated because why why this other why this other project and not this yet they're serving the same community and uh, but we later on found out why, uh, because it had a lot to do uh, with some other political strings attached. But it, it was just absurd. You know, sometimes this is what I'm saying. We in, in really need to think hard, long, hard about who we're discriminating against, because let's just not discriminate. And let's be clear about, I mean, if something is not a priority, Let's be clear as to why, and let's make sure that the explanation is just. Right. I I see, I see a maybe a gap um, in the way we're doing some of this relief work when it comes to these emergency situations. And I know that uh, my own denomination you know, uh, started a an organization that is just designed to respond to emergency situations. And, and, and I think the reason that we designed a separate organization is because re, this immediate response is fairly easy compared to a long lasting response. You know, you get your tents, you get your water, you get your crew together and you go, you're, you're meeting immediate needs. But then you have this, this transitionary period where you say, okay, um, it, it's been weeks now, maybe months, where do we go next? And it seems like there's a gap. And within the organization, within the organization I'm talking about, they just disengage at that point. There's nothing else. They just brought immediate relief. Now they're leaving. Um, they're not going to engage in a long-term helping strategy of that, of that type. And so 
it tugs on the heartstrings of people and it raises money and it, it really does do some good if it's if 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 they actually get on site and bring things that are needed and get them to the right people but even that is is very iffy um but then but then we're in this gap where we say okay um michael you went into to haiti you you've you found somebody who was really doing the work you were working with them they were impressive now you want to push this and partner longer term and all of a sudden this western system just lets you down no, no, we can go in and help them immediately. But when we look longer term, we're not getting we're not getting stuck in some type of permanent subsidy where we're subsidizing these people. And that that is a gap that I feel like right now, many places in Western Christendom, we're just missing the opportunity when we see these emergency situations and when we respond and we spend lots of money it opens an opportunity for us to see the churches in the community that are working. And when we see them, we should be identifying them and saying, hey, look at what they're doing. Let's connect them with some of these churches back home that we know, and let's let's start a partnership that can last. They don't just need water. They need things that can last a long time so that we see actual transition uh, in 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 very basic things. Um, but instead, it seems like those two things oftentimes are not connected. Um, in light of our, our past discussions about helping across political, cultural, and racial barriers, what are some of the issues that are emerging as we see how the world and church are responding to the crisis in Haiti? And, and I'm talking about things like racial barriers, stereotypes, bias? Are you seeing any of these things underlying the way we've interacted with Haiti? Yeah, my Haitian friends and I talk about this very often. Um, but it goes back, it goes, this used to be that immigrants that came think even uh, in the New York area, um, probably in Brooklyn, uh, the people that were most probably uh, uh, negatively stereotyped as people potentially involved in crime and criminal, criminal activity were Haitians and Jamaicans. Right, so now we're just talking at the uh, class socio level, um, when it comes to what that looks like domestically here in the United States. And people should always remember that, that it's often the case that these mental bugs in the domestic zeitgeist of sphere or what we have in our stereotypical lenses, it will play out internationally as well. Those just don't fly out of our minds the moment we get onto, onto the plane under the Great Commission. It's often the case that actually we're, we're going to be confronted even the more with these thoughts that we thought were kind of conventions domestically. Internationally, we're going to face them head on because those are the people that are going to take care of you. Those are the people that are going to drive you around. Those are the people that are going to help you do your laundry. Those are the people that are going to 
show you around the market area. And those are the people that are, you're going to be in church with predominantly. Those are the people you're going to partner with. So I think that that's, that's often to me uh, a reality. And of course, I'm not saying something new because I think that that's why most American churches want cross-cultural training or intercultural studies in American Christian schools because they realize this is a problem. Um, how they how they do this kind of studies or or preparations, uh, I think, requires a little more of non-Americans involved than there is now because <laughs> they, you know, the idea that intercultural studies are only going to be taught by returning missionaries, you know, American missionaries, uh, is not quite that, uh, it, 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 it helps, but it doesn't really get us uh, to think through it all the way. Because there's such a thing as uh, recidivism, even with culture. You, you know, you might have been gone for 20 years, but you come back and some things just start snapping back. Like it's like the old proverbial riding a bicycle, right? You, it, you, it comes back, muscle memory, whatever, cultural, um, uh, uh, your cultural backpack comes back on. So, um, so I think even that, uh, but a racialized society is culturally influenced and a lot of the constructs are cultural conventions so it's there matt and i think it plays out a lot even when it comes to who is going to be uh who's going to experience mission or generosity who the church is going to really support i think most churches would rather support an american missionary in haiti than think about uh supporting a haitian uh, uh national now not again i maybe i would say most in a generalization but i'm not too far off no um, and, and you're not too far off with the training I, you know i i did the full gambit bible school seminary um it, training uh, intense training before going to the mission field training on the mission field uh, debriefing after the mission field Never once can I remember having any training on anything to do with culture given to me, taught to me by anyone who was not a Western person in all of that. And that's, that's telling. That's telling. I think that that is a wonderful point that, that we need to be looking toward is if you're a church prepping a, um, a team to go to Mexico, maybe. Um, you know, first of all, you're letting your Mexican brothers and sisters, the partners there, drive why you're doing the trip and what you're going to do. You're not setting, the, you're letting them set the strategy. But then you should also have those those Mexican brothers and sisters, to the extent that they can, train your teams. Um, and um, I actually did that with, uh, with some of the teams I took to Mexico in the past, simply because I it was easy to recognize for me. I don't know. The culture, I, the specific culture of where we were going, I need my people to be listening and learning, not thinking that they're going as the experts. And so I did everything I could to have um, Mexican people from that area training 
them. And I, I just think that's a, a great thing for many of our churches, pastors, seminaries to think about is what are we doing to bring this element in um, so that we can have a better idea of the pitfalls we can fall into and actually what we're there for. Um, if I have uh, seen anything in years of being in and around this missions community, um, Michael, I know what you say about the preference for supporting a U.S. missionary over a Haitian native tends to be true almost everywhere in, in Western missions world. It's, it's not universally accurate, but it, it's pretty much everywhere. And to me, it represents just a failing of us to have relationships outside the U.S., that are are undergirded with trust. It's it's a trust issue. Um, we trust the people that look like us, and, but we also trust the people we know. And if we don't know people, why would we trust them? And I think that is a failing that goes beyond any NGO or or Christian or it, it it is a it, it's a problem with Western Christianity um, that we need to address head on and. Um, just, I don't want to be too negative here because because right. we can respond. Right, right. And I think that part of getting to the hope is showing these, these gaping holes. And in fact, how these gaping holes consume a lot of energy and a lot of mental energy and love energy you know, faith-wise, that they shouldn't, because maintaining this kind of gaping holes, the fact that they are means somebody's maintaining them either unwittingly or knowingly, and I think that this kind of, you know, this is sort of getting into the woods so that we can get out. The way out is through, right? So, so then, because even to the to your to the point you raised of the relief, the missions that saying we just do relief. Well, the question is why? Is it because they, I mean, because most of the time what's driving this kinds of thinking is their balance sheet, their spreadsheet, their loss, profits and loss, if they're using that, because they're trying to, maybe they found a way of making a little more, you know, margin this way by just focusing on relief. But the point is, is that what scripture calls us to do, to just be about relief? What about that kid that needs to go to school until they get to college and become the engineer that's actually going to solve the water pro problem in their small village? Um, uh, you know, there's a movie of a young boy on, I think it's on Netflix, who created a plane in, in uh, I think it's uh, probably Zambia. And, you know, he, he's just brilliant. But, um, uh, you know, he, what would be of this young man if he had the tools mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, Conrad in Massachusetts has all his life to, you know, become the pilot at American Airlines and assail that seniority there. So the, 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 then we are starting to look at this issue of really fairness. And fairness, of course, in our general language, but biblically, it's this idea of not playing favoritism. In other words, how can 
these resources within the community of faith be given to people who are just gifted, talented, and they could be, they could take it to the next level if we can remove all these barriers of are we only doing relief and we can't do uh, long-term investment because we don't want to subsidize what? Those kinds of people? Is that it? Those kinds of people? Well, because you know who you're subsidizing? You're subsidizing your pastor, mm-hmm. right? Because he he's paid through tithe, okay. right? You're, you're subsidizing other missionaries. Your church is subsidizing other missionaries because it's support. It's going somewhere else, but so then in in the rationale, why does it go to why does it go to white Americans? Why does the support go to white Americans, even when you've said relief is your focus, but long term you're supporting white Americans and you want support? You won't do the same for Haitians? Because what? One is support and the other is a subsidy? They're all subsidies in economic terms. So <laughs> I, I, I think those are the and, and and ask myself continually where does where is there some place in in scripture where we talk about um, long term support not being okay is, is is there some place where it says subsidy is not okay I, I don't think that is the critical element that Jesus was talking about um, like you've said in the past and we've even talked a little bit about here Jesus was agile in the way he addressed things and I, I really love that you brought that. Up this agility because when you're when you're agile in the way that you approach these problems, you walk away from a one size fits all mentality, and you start thinking about people as people and brothers and sisters instead of numbers or some strategy on your you know your next business call with your board members. And um, you know, as we look to what Jesus did, you know, there's this there's this idea that um, he he would empathize with the people around him and that empathy drove compassion and the compassion then drove action in the right direction that produced these fruits of the spirit. And I think really that's what we're looking for. We're looking for more of a biblical model and less of a, of a Western business model toward helping. And really that starts with people and connecting people. If I'm buddies with the Haitian pastor it's a lot easier for me to give him money. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And, you know, if I view him even more than a buddy as a brother, it becomes even easier. And the, and the more I view him as a brother, the less I'm concerned about him misusing the money or, you know, I, it, it just, when we start to eliminate these false lines of a, a national border, the false lines of, 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 of race, when it comes to, how we interact as Christians. I mean, there, there are no lines in the Bible when it comes to Christians. You know, we're Christians, we're brothers, we're sisters, we're in Christ. Um, we're equal in Christ. Our power is equal in Christ because it's all the same power of the Holy Spirit in us. And when we look at that, then when we become friends, there aren't these, I'm not like your friend because you're, you're my disciple or I'm your disciple. We're actually right. friends. We grow in right. faith in life together. And um, so a lot of what I see in the way Jesus walked and talked and interacted is the way I want us to be. I want us to be like that. I want to be agile. 
I want to be empathetic that drives compassion, that drives real solutions. And those solutions should be generated when I'm talking to my Haitian brother and buddy. They should be driven by him because he's the expert on the ground, not me. But what do I have that he may need? Resources. So what should I give? Resources. I shouldn't be giving my knowledge because I don't have it. I'm I'm called to give what I have. Um, and Michael, as as we look to 2010 and now, and we see you said you started this program off with just deja vu. You know, 2010 and now we're seeing some of the same same things repeat. But NGOs coming in um, with lots of money, but maybe, you know, it, 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 you've got the Haitian people saying, why aren't we giving this money through these grassroots organizations that actually know how to help? But as we look to the future of the, the next time Haiti has a crisis or, or somewhere else, we know these things are going to happen. What can we learn from what we're seeing right now? Very helpful question, Matt. I think, uh, what can we learn? I love that uh, you have uh, given those reiterations there of, you know, let's uh, let, let's let's concentrate because really I think it's the learning piece is so critical. Pedagogy, catechism, it's called in some circles, discipleship, education in general. In other words, how are we learning? What, how much are we investing in learning? How to be, how to be neighbors, neighborly, brother and sister. Um, and a lot of these barriers that we've elected, uh, erected across uh, nationality, um, dead distinctions, but from a, from a faith perspective, Christ's love transcends these barriers from a cultural level, from a racial level, from a socioeconomic level. Um, how do we learn to invest in the process of wanting to do exactly that? Be brothers uh, and then be agile in that sense. Empathetic in a way that drives compassion, biblical compassion, not the politicized kind either, but biblical compassion. Just look at Jesus's example. And then what do they need resources? It doesn't have to depend on me providing the resources, but can I, can I find ways to introduce them to other people as well? And part of that learning process, Matt, is also reading and studying. So I want to just share a few, uh, you know, pieces of literature that might be helpful, of course, including my book. But, you know, there's the plug. They'll plug always. But I mean that in a serious sense. Um, and your dissertation as well, Matt. You want to mention the title of your dissertation? Yeah, where helping starts is yeah. is um, uh, it, you know I I personally for um, your book I mean when I read that book it opened my eyes and I I think people should read it um, yeah. and uh, I think 
I think Christians interested, I, I think missions pastors should read that book. Uh, that's really the heart and soul of who should read that book because missions pastors are the ones that are controlling a lot of these budgets. They're deciding, do we give money to compassion? Do we give money to the Red Cross? Do we just directly connect? I think there is a, a blindness that I see in a lot of Western seminary training that doesn't prepare pastors in that role to actually see the things we're talking about. Instead, that role tends, the training tends to put us into whatever our denominational structure is. And then it becomes, uh, well, you have to run two mission trips a year or five mission trips a year. And it has to include at least 15 people. And you, you just get into metric. And when you get into metrics, all of a sudden it's all about your strategy. And it's not about then, it, it tends to, the, the people that you're actually going to partner with, it tends to uh, recede. And it's just, a, it's, it's almost like a business plan. And I hate that that happens, but that's where the system pulls all of us. And then you read a, a book like Fickert's When Helping Hurts, and he says, you know, he laments the fact that he helped this, this person by giving them $8 worth of medicine to save their life. And you find yourself shaking your head and saying, yeah, because he could cause harm. And then you think, you read your book and you think, what? What? How could I, as a Christian, convince myself that that's okay, that I'd let somebody die because I'm more concerned about my own strategy? And yet I see it in missions, budgets, and churches where we're allocating pizza and and Chick-fil-A. love Chick-fil-A, but, you know, every Christian has to love Chick-fil-A, but Chick-fil-A. We're allocating more budget to Chick-fil-A and pizza for our mission training exercises than we're actually right. allocating to the people we're supposedly helping. And you just, it, it blows my mind. So um, I think that as we look to um, places like Haiti and as we see what's going on there, there are some really basic things that we need to return to if we don't want to see deja vu all over again, which is we need to read things like your book and broaden our horizon and not just, you know, the guys in the seminaries. This is this is people that are pastors. This is church leaders, people that are our deacons and elder boards, people that are on church boards that are making decisions about budgeting. Um, and, and I think what your book did for me is it said, I need to first be go looking for friends that are Christians in other places. And if I establish my friendship first, then all of a sudden things like three-year plans and exit strategies and strings attached, they fade in importance. They really fade. And that's, that really helped me just to think about that. So, you know, you want to talk about a plug for your book. There you go. That's a plug for your book. Uh now, my, no, I, go ahead. my dissertation came in and then really talked about some nuts and bolts strategy for if we're going to have church partnerships and we're going to try and remove this disconnect between the church and poverty alleviation, it wrote about basically not outsourcing, not outsourcing help to some third party NGO, instead looking for friends across cultural divides and racial divides so that we can have church-to-church -church partnerships to share resources 
um, that don't have an exit strategy or a closing window or, you know, a three-year contract where, hey, we're going to be friends for three years, but then we'll never talk to each other again. And I, I think that when you take the combination of those two, you really st start to see a mentality and a strategy that comes straight out of scripture. And, and, and that, that is what we need to return. If we're Christians, you know, and if we really believe what the Bible says, then that should be where we look for our strategy as we move forward. You know, hey, we see the strategy for, like you said, lament. Let's lament what has happened in Haiti. And let's have empathy. And that let's let that empathy drive this compassion. And let's let that compassion drive at or push action, spawn action as a catalyst. But that action must be coupled with grassroots efforts on the ground. And those grassroots efforts, we can only trust if we know. We know through friendship. Friendship is Christians together. And so I just see that being a complete progression seen out of scripture. And the church is very clearly God's model and mechanism and engine to accomplish that. Connections between churches, that's where it's at. Um, so I kind of, in a way, you kind of answered my question and, and then I answered my question too. Um, but we're running out of, <laughs> running out of time. Um, so I, I want to give you just a just a minute or two more, just as you look at Haiti and your experience there and uh, just where we sit now as a church, just give me some closing thoughts on what you'd like to see happen over the next weeks and months as Christians here in the United States interact with the crisis in Haiti. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to see some practical steps where uh, faith communities are actually at inviting with their consent and with their permission inviting Haitian nationals within their congregations or in their neighborhood should they feel comfortable to engage more in the dialogue about what it looks like to uh, connect with those who need help at home and like let them actually provide the leadership here in the United States, not the youth pastor, not the not the elder, the board elder. If if the elder on the board or the pastor is involved, let him provide. Let him provide, if I like lack of anything, political will or or, or provide actual encouragement for these. Uh, brothers and sisters who uh, they, they, like the Afghanis, they, they can, can they, they, they know, they can let their leadership and agency uh, really support any initiatives forward. And it usually is hard and they're going to run into racial issues. They're going to run into overtones. They're going to run. So it really is going to require a lot of patience on the American dominant cultural Christian leader to take a step back, always take a step back. Just, just like you're saying, just have, just have patience and, and learn. Uh, and then, and then listen to, listen to other 
other brothers and sisters from other parts of uh, the world who have been through similar situations because uh, you you also ask Africans they would know they they would have a they would they would know what what it means for the importance of um, the Haitian voice and agency in this because I can tell you there's so many Haitians who sit in the congregation and they're going to hear uh, pastors you know, American pastors talking about Haiti and they're cringing in the midst of suffering. They're thinking, no, you're misrepresenting the situation and you're presenting us as products through whom you need to fundraise. And you're just adding salt onto injury here because my they just talk to their mother on the phone or through WhatsApp or through, you know, FaceTime. And it's not exactly what the pastor is presenting, just so money can come in. So I think those are some of the things that need to be taken into consideration. And then when it comes to learning, of course, you've mentioned the two uh, works there. And I'd like to just share two more books that can help people understand, you know, even further that, Christ that question you asked, Christian organization or non-Christian organization. There's a book uh, called Travesty in Haiti, you know, a true account of Christian missions. Uh, and it's written by... Schwartz uh, Timothy, and uh, the, the, he, I, I think he he, conf he confesses that he's not necessarily of any uh, faith background. And then there's another book. Uh, there's another book called A Twist of Faith: How American Christians Quest to Help in uh, Orphanages. Just tells another story there. But um, we have got work to do to really strengthen our, this, this great ministry of helping and reconciliation. We've got work to do, but it's not the Brian Fickett route and uh, uh, Steve Corbin. In fact, I, I, I had a recent conversation with a prominent uh, leader in the evangelical realm, and he was shocked just like you mentioned, that he, he had read the book, but when we rehashed when we rehashed this story that you mentioned, uh, the eight dollars, he was shocked that that story was in there. And he said, Wow, I know I, I know him well. He wrote this. And he said, Well, his thoughts have evolved. I said, but the book is still on sale. <laughs> he clearly haven't, right? And he said, Right. The, the, I don't. I don't. So, I think there may be some evolution there, but uh, the the most recent book that came out um, was uh, from the Chalmers Chalmers organization was uh, said almost the exact same things as the original book um, in relation to it, it, and Africans. And that's what I told him. I said. I said the recent one has not changed. It's a double down, and even the other one uh, with him and 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 Kapik, same ideas. I said, I said the the he the the leopard is struggling to lose its spots here. If I'm to use I use that analogy, but um, but 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 just to say that these ideas that are ingrained are hard, willing to interact with uh, people who have actually experienced these realities, and it's not just that one story. It's throughout the book the idea that poverty is as a result of broken relationships is false. It just is false. So, so, so I think just reading this 
preparing ourselves with this trans mental transformation that in, in itself is a soul transformation and a bodily as well, because the mind is spread all over the body. And, you know, through the nervous system, and it's our emotions, and, and, and the gospel transforms us this way. So I'll end it here. Matt, again, brings full circle your question, Christian organization or non-Christian organization. My thought has always been that I would rather interact with the church as you and I have spoken, because they are the centrality of the existence is this gospel that is inside out. It is a sending affair. It's not a self-preservation call. It's not a call to self-preservation. But I worry that with Brian and Stephen Corbett's way of approach, which is mainly mainstream economics and community development approach, brings us back to this idea of self-preservation and the propagation of my business, the propagation of my organization. And until you come to my organization, don't use any other organization. Right. Or ideas. Yeah. And, and the, Michael, I just want to thank you so much for um, the insight there. I, I agree when we when we look at, at systems uh, like like the Chalmers Center um, and when helping hurts implement that it's a it's a it's an indicator of a deeper problem in the West, which is we fear when we give money to people that don't look like us that they don't have the faculties to use that money well, and so we condemn exactly. our yep. we condemn ourselves in a false way for that we're not good stewards. And then we can, we convince ourselves of a bunch of lies and the, and the lies are, if I give to this person, I'm actually harming them. And somehow that leads us down a path where the only answer I can possibly have is that dying person on the side of the road. Um, I shouldn't help them because I would be stealing that opportunity from the local people or who are here. And, and it's, it's ludicrous that, I mean, if that is what your conclusion comes from your system, from your system, then your system is broken. And um, when we look to scripture, we see the exact opposite in the good Samaritan. We see the exact opposite in what Christ said to both the rich in his warnings and the poor in his compassion. And um, we see Jesus actually acting that out as he heals and feeds and and socially engages as he goes along with his ministry. He didn't just um, present God's position. He also showed the heart of God in the way he interacted. Um, and so it, it, as we leave it here and it just going back to um, your, your idea of the best thing for uh, that you'd like to see happen in the next few weeks, months in regard to Haiti, you said you'd love to see this interaction where Haitians are actually brought into the congregations, brought into places in North America where, where they're actually heard. Um, and they actually get to speak about the situation and the needs and, and everything else. And, and I, my, my piggyback on that would be, I would love to see this viewed as an opportunity for long-term partnership, not right. not short time, short-term reactionary uh, right. 
heartstrings giving. Um, the, the, this is something that there will be another problem. Haiti has been plagued with natural disasters and they've got a really difficult political situation right now. And Haitian churches, they're God's arm to reach out to the communities in Haiti. And we need to be looking at them and saying, what can we do long-term to partner? And so I think about when I met my wife, I mean, initially, you know, we just met, we go on a few dates. Oh boy. You know, I liked her. I thought she was beautiful, you know, all yeah. different things, but, but I wasn't looking at that saying, Hey, you know, I'm going to put a three-year window on this. That would have been ludicrous. I, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to get married to you tomorrow either. I had to, I had to know her. I had to get to know her. And, and, and so when we think about these relationships that the Western church tends to enter into now, these missions partnerships, we start with this mentality that, hey, we're only going to do this for a few years and we're going to have some very specific guidelines for what we're going to do. And we've got a very clear exit strategy. To me, that is the exact opposite of what you would see in any other type of relationship. And then we scratch our heads and wonder, well, why didn't this relationship work? And it's because we came at it in the wrong to begin with. And, and if we can just adjust that thinking, even in the Haitian thing, if you have a Haitian person come in and talk to your congregation, sit down with you about what's going on in Haiti and how you can help, don't look at them like the next marketing tool for your next mission trip. Instead, look at them as a brother or sister in Christ and say, you know, if they're saying they need long-term help, let's talk to our leadership. Let's figure out how we can get on board to love these people and walk with them as brothers and sisters with no end in sight and be okay with that. Be okay with the fact that there is no exit strategy. God doesn't give us an exit strategy. He doesn't say, Matt, boy, you're really deplorable. And then, then I found you and I drew you and, and you accepted me. But guess what, man? You know, once you've gotten my help for a couple of years, you know, you're on your own. Can you imagine? Can right, you imagine? right, right. And right. right. act like Christ or, or not. So, Michael, I have right. appreciated the time here as I do every time. I can't wait till the next time. And just before we go here, your book, When Helping Works, is on our website. Yeah, yeah. Embrace, embracing, yeah. embracing the Margins org right and there's a link there where people can purchase this and i think every person listening to this should read this book if they haven't already and i just want to thank you again for the way you helped open my eyes and um with that we're going to go for now and uh, again i just can't wait till the next time brother